If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Luke 23, and we're going to be reading through um, verse 50 through the end of the chapter, all the way into chapter 24 to verse 11. But before we get there, before we read the Scripture, there's just a few things that I want to um, share and say this morning. In studying for the message this morning, I did a lot of research and I come across something that was very disturbing, very heartbreaking. And I wasn't quite sure how to share it with you. But, you know, I've always said that the church, the church has always been based upon fact. And it is by that fact that we have faith, and by that faith we understand the facts. The evidence leads to the facts, and the facts lead to the faith in which we walk in Jesus. Something has come to light over in Israel that uh, I thought that we as a church need to hear about. And as I read the articles on it, uh, I realized that this was something that's going to, to get out into the journals and the newspapers and the news media very soon, and I thought that we, the church, needed to, to hear it and give me an opportunity to um, expound upon it and give some consoling comments to it. But let me just read the statement. Is everybody listening to me this morning? I quote, Archaeologists have made a startling and remarkable discovery. They have found recently in a newly unearthed tomb in Israel, in the suburbs of Jerusalem, the remains of an ancient man who quite evidently died of crucifixion. And on the walls of that tomb, they found also a plaque written in ancient Hebrew, which translated reads, Here lies Jesus of Nazareth, the great and good teacher. We secretly moved his body away in order to place him beyond the reach and the rage of his enemies. He was the best man. May he rest in peace. I hope that troubles your heart. Well, this was actually a scene from a novel published by, in England some time back. I'm happy to tell you that it is all fiction. It is not true. Our Savior raised from the dead. But an atheist who wanted to destroy Christianity hired in this novel, hired a, 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 a scrupulous uh, uh, archaeologist to go and to claim that he found a tomb in, in the midst of Jerusalem where Jesus still remained. But I tell you today, my friends, as believers in Jesus Christ, I have walked the streets of Jerusalem. I have been in Israel, and there is not a tomb in which Jesus is. He has risen from the dead. I believe that I went to the garden tomb, that empty tomb where Jesus may have laid. And there was nobody there. There was no plaque there. There was emptiness there. So I want to share with you today a message from the empty tomb of Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, so uh, the re you know, results of this uh, novel is catastrophic if it be true. 
And I almost am afraid that many in our world today have come to believe that Jesus is in a tomb somewhere, that he is not alive, that he is not risen, that he doesn't change lives. For the world around us seems to be taking on the the form of evil and and, and sin and, and brokenness. My friends, listen, they're simply being like their father, the devil. The problem isn't the world. The problem is the church. The problem is the church that believes and knows that Jesus lives. We're not arising and we're not arisen in such a way that we're saying to the world, I believe with all my heart that he is alive today. And because he's alive, I am different. The tomb has made me different. Because of his power in living, I was once dead but now am made alive. That, my friends, is what Easter is all about. If you would, stand with me as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. In Luke's gospel, in chapter 23, we meet a man, Joseph of Arimathea, who is there as a follower of Jesus Christ. And then we go to the tomb, and we see and hear the story of the first Easter Sunday morning. And it begins, and behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good God, or a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and the deeds of them. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down, and he wrapped it in linen, and he laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never a man before had laid. And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how the body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Verse 1 of chapter 24. Now upon the first day of the week, On that Sunday morning, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining raiment. And as they were afraid, they bowed down their heads to the earth, and then they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told those things unto the eleven and to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and and Joanna uh, and and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them idle tales, and they believed them not. Father, as we read the Scripture, we understand that there are many in our world today, just like the apostles, that very first testimonial, they did not believe. But Lord, we're thankful that we believe because we have seen the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
We're thankful, Father, that we are a part of, of a life that has been changed from dead to life, uh, from sinner to saint, from one in which I would, would not want to go back to, to one in which I don't want to remain, one in which I say that I am striving towards the perfection of Jesus Christ, my Savior looking forward to the day when I'll lay down this old flesh and I will receive that glorified body in heaven above. Lord, I thank you for the celebration of Easter today. Lord, let it be a reminder in our hearts and in our heads, O oh Lord, that we serve a risen Savior. And because he lives, we live. And because we live, we're to live out our lives for you before those who do not believe. So, Lord, take this message, I pray, and let it be used for your glory. Holy Spirit, I thank you for being in this place today. Now let your power, let your authority, let your spirit work in our hearts. And, Lord, may there be others that will come to know Jesus Christ because of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank God for Easter in the empty tomb. The early disciples witnessed the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. They could not forget the open tomb and his pierced hands and wounded side. The living Christ had a powerful and profound effect upon each and every one of them. The people who went to the tomb that first Easter morning testified to the power of the resurrection, and we today continue to, to testify of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As they were in awe and wonder, we too should be in awe and wonder of our risen Savior. So I want this sermon this morning to be a simple reminder that as we visit the empty tomb each and every Sunday, that we remember the wonder and awe of a risen Savior. When Paul wrote the, to the Corinthians, he said that there was at least 500 brethren who had seen Jesus alive after his crucifixion. And they bear witness of the validity of his resurrection. But what does that all mean to us today? What is the message of the empty tomb? As we look into the empty tomb this morning, my friends, we hear the empty tomb has a message for us all. But before I share that, watch this video. Look at as the first disciples went to that tomb that day. Peter, stop! We'll get the guys to help with the search and then we'll divide up, all right? We'll have Andrew take the north, Bartholomew will take the bottom. Peter, stop! Look, I'm just as confused about this as you are. Someone stole him. That's the only logical explanation, John. Wait, 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 okay? Look, what we witnessed today. I, I, the guards, I, they took him. We have to move swiftly. We have to rebury the body properly. Look, Peter, stop! Okay, we need to go tell the others. Tell them what? What we saw. We saw nothing. Exactly. John. Do you not understand that they are trying to stop us? That's why Jesus kept waking us up to pray. That's why they got to Judas. That's why. That's why they arrested Jesus. Just the other day, I was looking at him. I was looking him in the eye and I, and I told him that I loved him and that I would follow him to the ends of the earth. He was supposed to be our king. He is the king. When we were in the tomb, 
I remember something Jesus said. The linens were just lying there. They, they, they were just lying there. No, no. Think bigger. Look, all of this, all of it was supposed to be preparing us for this moment, for that empty tomb. We just couldn't see it. Couldn't see what? Okay. When Mary came back and said that the tomb was empty and that the angel of the Lord was there, that's when it started to come back. John, enough. We can reminisce about this later. Jesus is missing. We have to go find him. He's not missing. That, that's the point. Look, he was trying to tell us about this. Jesus was preparing us for this. He's risen. Peter, he's a different kind of king, and he always was. Peter, do you remember that night Jesus asked us who we thought he was? When he called me Satan? Yeah. Yeah, I called him... Lord of all, Peter. We just didn't understand. But he's gone. No, he's risen. He did it. 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 Peter, he's risen. He's risen. He's risen. He's risen. He did it. Do you hear that world? He's risen. He's risen! He's risen! The message of the empty tomb is He is risen. It is the message of the church of Jesus Christ, and we cannot, we cannot be silent. We must open our mouths, and we must open our hearts, and we must pour out those words to the world. My Savior lives, and He wants to be your Savior too. The empty tomb has a message for us this morning. Perhaps you and I are like Peter and we have made a commitment to Christ and, and we have failed him over and over again and we wonder how many times is he going to forgive me? How many times is he going to let me back? How many times is he going to, is he going to just say, I forgive you? Maybe. Maybe we're like some of the other disciples, the one we pick on all the time, Thomas, who said, unless I touch him, unless I, I have an opportunity to, to experience him face to face where I can reach out and touch him, I cannot believe. Maybe you're here today. And you're struggling with, with, with doubts and unbelief and, and in a world that is filling our heads with all kinds of garbage. And you're wondering, is the church got a purpose anymore? Is there a reason for us to come on Sunday morning and proclaim that He is alive? The empty tomb has a message for us all today. And just give me the next few moments of your time just to share with you just a few things that we need to hear from the empty tomb. First of all, the empty tomb proclaims a pardon for all of our sins. I'm so glad that Jesus forgives my sins. I'm so glad that he doesn't just say, I'm holding a, a list, I'm keeping track. He doesn't just say, one of these days, you're going to have to give an account, but my Savior died so that I could be forgiven. The empty tomb is my reminder that all of my sins have been washed away.
The world, my friends, in which we have been living in, the world in which every one of us are born into has had a sin problem from the, the, the time right after creation. Since the Garden of Eden, sin has crept into this world, and we have been a disappointment to God. And, and, and we have not only disappointed God, but we've disappointed ourselves. The world in which Jesus came into so long ago was no different. He came into a sinful world. And the Bible tells us in John that, that the world loved darkness better than light. And therefore, they rejected Jesus for who he was. But yet, instead of saying, because you've rejected me, I quit. I'm going home. He said with a, a, a determination... I've come to be handed over to the to Gentiles to be crucified for you, for your sins. The ancient world has tried to, to take care of our sin problem. They have bathed the world in blood sacrifices over the years, but to no avail, sin continues to reign in this world. Then Jesus was announced by John the Baptist as the one who could do something about the sin of all the world. John identified him as the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. For the very first time, sin was talked about in a different way. Instead of covering over sin as the, the sacrifices of animals did week after week, day after day, hour after hour, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was coming to take away the sins so we didn't have them anymore. You see, Jesus had talked about uh, his coming as a ransom for the world. The last night Jesus spoke with his disciples, he talked about establishing a new covenant, a new covenant in his blood. We will share in that new covenant in just a few moments as we take communion together. And Jeremiah had described this covenant as the one that finally did something about our sin problem. The blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary's cross is the very blood that takes away the sins of the world. It is, my friends, that we have been pardoned. Our sins have been taken away. In 1 John 1, 9 reminds us that when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just not only to forgive us of our sins, but He says, I cleanse you of your sins. We are washed white as snow. You see, the Bible tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ is the only blood that could do that for us. On the cross, Jesus offered Himself for the sins of the world. As the great high priest, he presents himself on the altar for us. But did God accept that sacrifice? Did God say, well done, my son, I will accept it? Absolutely. The empty tomb is the evidence that God said, I will accept your payment, my son. And he rose his son from the dead. You see, the Bible tells us the empty tomb declares he not only accepted it, he welcomed it. Later, Paul writes, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. The resurrection is the visible evidence that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. Dr. John Donald Barnhouse uh, illustrated this truth like this. How many of us have ever went and paid a bill? Anybody ever paid a bill? We've all paid a bill if we're an adult. We all have bills. But this is how Barnhart, or Barnhouse explains this. He said it is like paying a bill. 
You walk up to the counter with the bill in hand and the money in your hand and that which to pay it. You lay both of them on the counter. The clerk counts the money, tears the bill in two, writes on one part of it paid in full, hands you back the canceled part back to you. That bill can never be collected from again. Anytime that they would try to collect that bill, all you have to do is show them the pay stub that says it is canceled. It is paid in full. And when we get to the gates of heaven, we won't have to say, I wonder how I'm going to get through. It is paid in full. Jesus paid for us so that we could enter in there. So it is with our Lord. On the counter of eternity, he presents our bill. He presented the cash of his own life to pay our bill that we could not pay. And on the first day of the week, the Father gave us the canceled stub in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the tomb. Based upon that glorious fact, we declare that it is by faith in Christ that we have eternally been set free from our sins. Paul the apostle again declares, but the world is nigh even in thy mouth and in thy heart that is the word of faith which we preached, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, just as those children said this morning, and with that mouth confession is made unto salvation, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? Amen. All who call upon his great and glorious name. So I challenge you, look into the empty tomb. Listen to the message of the empty tomb this morning. The one who died, the one who was dead upon the cross, the one who was closed in that tomb, he is now alive. He is risen from the grave. If you and I call upon his name and confess him as our Lord, he will not only save us, but he will remove our sins from us from this morning and forevermore they will never be counted against us. We will be saved. Saved from our sins, saved from the penalty of the wrath of God, saved to, to honor and glorify him forevermore. He has paid your debt to enable you to enter into his presence. The second thing that we see that the empty tomb reminds us of, the empty tomb proclaims the power for our struggles. Perhaps you and I are like Peter in the fact that we are struggling with all of our failures and all of our faults and, and all of our inabilities. And we wonder, God, when am I going to overcome the sin that seeps creeping into my life? God, when am I going to be that Christian who, who stands up and is forever strong and never fails and never falters the moment you walk through heaven's doors? But until then, my friends, let me tell you some good news about the struggles of life. You are not walking through them alone. The living Savior walks through them all with you. He is there day after day, hour after hour. In the midst of our weakness, He is there to strengthen us. In the midst of our sin, He is there to pick us up. If the cross is the symbol of weakness, as many say, the empty tomb is the symbol of great eternal power. Listen to the message of the empty tomb. It proclaims a living Christ who is our Savior. He is victorious over death. He is victorious over life. He is victorious over sin. And he who is in us, who in the world could ever be against us? The early believers, the disciples, experienced this power when the Spirit of the Lord fell upon them and they enjoyed the presence of the Lord. 
He declared just before leaving for heaven, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the age. He kept his promise. He keeps his promise. He is with us today as he was with them. When Stephen uh, dies in loyalty for him, Jesus is standing there to welcome him into the doorways of, of the house of God above. And I believe in John chapter 14. I share this at many bedsides and at many funerals. In John chapter 14, the Lord himself says that I've gone away to prepare a place for you. But don't worry, I'm coming again to receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now we can look at that literally and say, uh, uh, Jesus is just figuratively speaking, but I look at it as Jesus is promising that no one dies from this world of his children, that he does not reach out his hand and welcome us in. I believe that he is at the bed of every believer because he welcomes us into his family, into his home. The empty tomb gives us that struggle over the power of our sin and our struggles. The Bible tells us again and again, in the moment of trial, he comes to stand with us. The Apostle Paul was an expert, if you would, in that. And, and from the Philippian, or from the Roman jail, he wrote the letter to the Philippians, that letter of encouragement, that letter that reminds us time and time again, you don't have to give up. You don't have to lose hope. You don't have to fail. You don't have to falter because I am always there with you. The Apostle Paul notes the Lord is at hand. When telling Timothy of the trials, um, he notes, but the Lord stood with me. Samuel Rutherford, who was in prison for Christ, wrote to a friend, and here's what he said from his cell. Christ came into my cell last night, and even every stone flashed like a ruby. But even more, did they experience Christ as a, as a presence in them. They were not only with him, but listen, my friends, today the Bible says that he is in them, and he is in us. No matter where we go, we take the Lord Jesus Christ with us. We never step outside of the presence of God. For the Bible says that he comes to dwell in us. We talked about this just a few weeks ago. He is in us, and so he is always with us. When the Holy Spirit came and explained that truth, Paul would then later write, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Again, Paul writes, Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the Spirit or by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This, my friends, is the proclamation of the empty tomb. A message from the tomb today is you don't have to struggle. And when you are struggling, never fear, the Lord is always near. He is there day or night, hour by hour, moment by moment. Just reach out and he will take your hand. It's a matter not of the nature of the struggles. It is a matter of the victory in our struggles. The third message of the empty tomb proclaims peace for our sorrows. Ever since the firstborn son died in the first home, the world has been weeping over death. 
Death has affected every one of us that are sitting in this room today. We have had one loved one or another or friend or family member die from this world. It's not the death, it's how we look at the death. It's rather we look at it as a hopelessness and a helplessness or if we look at it as a transition from this life to his life. None of us have escaped the sting of death. This king of terrors has invaded our land. The world into which Jesus came made a funeral a time of woe and despair. Large companies of mourners would march through the streets and proclaim publicly their great sorrow over the loss. However, one empty tomb has made all the difference in the world. We still have sorrow over death when it comes, but that sorrow is tempered by hope in Jesus Christ and the resurrection. We no longer weep and mourn as Christians. We sing at funerals. We sing of the victory song. We sing of the hope of heaven. We sing of the help of Jesus. We look forward to meeting our our beloved once again. Jesus Christ reminds us that the empty tomb is a hope for all of our sorrows. Death has no more victory. I love the words of the Apostle Paul, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are no longer bound by it. We have been set free to live again. So look into the tomb this morning. Look in and see that it is empty, not because Jesus was never there, but because he rose from there. And because he rose from there, we too do not have to fear going to the tomb. We know that absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Bible reminds us, for I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not even as others which have, listen, no hope. We have hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. He's talking about the rapture. He's talking about the second coming. Listen, my friends, the dead in Christ shall meet the living in Christ, and we shall all be changed. And then we shall all be welcomed into his glory. I don't know about you, but I've been praying, Lord, come. Lord Jesus, come. I'm ready. Let's take it all out of here. It seems as though this world is not listening, but maybe God is saying, it's time for the church to rise as I rose. It's time for the church again to proclaim the risen Savior. It's time for us, church, to get up and to proclaim, Jesus lives and I live and you can live too. It's time, O Lord, send your power, send your spirit, arise the church again. I ask the question this morning, will you and I receive the message of the empty tomb? Or will we be like those doubters and naysayers and say, I cannot believe? My friends, if you'll embrace the message of the empty tomb, you will find the life of eternity today.
The gift that God has given us, victory over our sin, over death. What a Savior. He is alive. Jesus Christ is alive so that you and I can be alive. My friends, listen. The empty tomb is filled with messages for the believer so that we don't get bogged down in the muck and the mire of this world, but we live in the realm of heaven above and look forward to one day being there personally. So with that being said, my friends, may you celebrate Resurrection Sunday as one who was dead, but who now is alive. Amen? And if that be the case, if you are one who was dead and one who is now alive, you should have received a, a little cup that looks something like this. Get it out. Because we're going to transition in just a few moments to a time of communion. But before we do that, I want you to watch this next video. Let your heart be fixated upon what communion means to you. And then we'll share in a time of communion together.